Lovely. Thank you very much, uh, James. And it's uh, great to be here with you tonight here at Brookside. And uh, as uh, James was saying, this is my second meeting. We were up in Whiteside, up in Belfast on Monday night. And I hadn't done any meetings for two years since uh, March 2020 when we were at a ladies' conference down in Southampton in England, in the south of England. So uh, if somebody had said to me two years, it would be two years before we'd be getting out to meet people face to face. Before that, we've been doing some uh, meetings on Zoom. And, uh, and that's the way things are going now and streaming too. And I believe tonight is going to be streamed so, uh, so that people can watch us at a later date or even see it tonight at home. So thank you so much. It's lovely to be here in a hall. Uh, not too far from where we live, we live in Brashean, so we're, we're quite local tonight. And it's great to be with you, men. And tonight, men, I'm going to take you back 60 years ago, back to 1961. Because way back in that year, my mum went to the doctor. And she said to the doctor, doctor, I think I might be pregnant again. And you know, my mom had already suffered with morning sickness with her two previous children, my big brother and my big sister. And you know, the doctor gave my mom some tablets, a new tablet, a wonder drug called thalidomide. And you know, my mom was not to know that is. As a result of taking just two tablets, just two, that eight and a half months later, that I would be born with no arms. And you know, when I was born in the Jubilee Hospital there in Belfast, the midwife said to my mum, uh, she said, she didn't say anything because it was so different from my big brother and my big sister. Because when Alan was born, my big brother Alan, the midwife said, you've got a boy. And you know, when my sister Patricia was born, you've got a girl. But you know, when I was born, there was a hush. There was a silence. And uh, I was wrapped up in the blanket, so I was told, and I was taken away from my mum for many hours. And you know, I nearly killed my mum then because of my shoulders. My shoulders, they ripped the inside of my mum and she lost several pints of blood. And for a short time, it was touch and go whether my mum would survive. But thankfully, they were able to replace the, the pints of blood that she had lost. And she stayed there in the hospital in Belfast for about 10 days. And when she was strong enough, she went back home to Ballyclare, where we had a little small holding, a wee pig farm, with uh, ducks and geese and hens all running around. But you know, man, I stayed in the hospital for another two weeks because they were putting all these pins into my legs and the rest of my body to see about any internal injuries, as well as having no arms. But eventually I got back home to the farm in Ballyclare. And you know, things were so different than uh, my other, my brother and sister. 
because for my mum, she kept me in the house most of the time because of attitudes. 60 years ago, people's attitudes to disability was so different from the day. Do you know, my mum felt safe taking me out to feed the animals. My mum knew that the animals wouldn't talk back. They wouldn't ask any awkward questions. But if any neighbours came up the lane, my mum's instinct would be to, to pick me up and take me in before anybody would say anything. But you know, one day, one of the neighbours, a lady called Lily Bell, came up the lane. And you know, when she saw me for the first time, she said to my mum, Isabel, is that Bran? Do you know, man, in those days, I had lots of curly blonde hair. And she said to my mum, Isabel, isn't Bran cute? Isn't he lovely? And you know, my mum never expected Lily Bell to say that about me. You see, man, my mum thought that Lily Bell was going to interrogate my mum with all these awkward and difficult questions that at that stage, my mum didn't have any answers. Do you know, it'd be more than a year after I was born before my mum would get the answer that it was because of that drug, thalidomides. In the UK, just over 500 thalidomide children were born like myself. Around the world, almost 10,000 children were born without limbs. And you know, in those early days, my mum used to say that Lily Bell was that, uh, was that friend that she needed in those weeks and months after I was born. She, Lily Bell was a great encourager to my mum. And also Lily Bell, she didn't ask too many difficult questions. She was a good listener, and she listened well because my mum, she just at that stage, just wanted a friend. I'm sure there were times my mum needed a shoulder to cry on, and you know, Lily Bell would have been there for my mum. And yet, you know, man, my mum was encouraged not to do everything for me. You know, my mum was told that it would be good for me to learn to use these here, my toes. You know, I say to people, the only time these here are my feet or when I walk, the rest of the time they're my hands. And you know, from a very early age, my mum and my dad were encouraged to stick a spoon or a fork in between my big toe. And you know, I, had, I was encouraged to lift my, my wee leg up onto the kitchen table. And you know, man, in those days, my legs weren't as long as they are today. And you know, I used to struggle to get that wee leg up onto the table. And you know, I used to get these awful pains in my legs. Today, we call that cramps. And you know, I used to say, Mom, Dad, why? Why do I have to lift my wee leg up onto the table with the spoon or the fork? You see, man, I used to look at the animals, the pigs. They had no arms. And they had no problems feeding themselves. And we had Laddie the dog. And he had no problems too. And you know, I thought to myself, if it's good enough for the animals, it's good enough for Brian. And you know, in those days, I used to stick my head down into the plate. And I used to lick up the food so fast 
And my big brother Alan and my sister Patricia used to say, that's not fair. If there's any extra food, Brian has his plate all licked and he's got ready for seconds. But you know, I remember we used to, on the farm, especially around September, October time, we used to grow a half a field of cabbages. And you know, cabbage would be on the menu every day for many, many weeks. And you know, I remember sometimes I'd be sitting at the kitchen table and you know, I would get that cabbage onto the fork and just about men as I was bringing up to my mouth, I would let it go past my mouth onto the floor. And do you know who would come to my rescue? Laddie the dog. Do you know I love Laddie? He could have my cabbage every day. But you know, my father caught me on. He said, Brian, if you want to be a big, strong boy, you have to eat all your greens. So I had to eat all my cabbage. And you know, there are many other challenges. Even things like, Brian, how do you put your clothes on when you've got no arms? Do you know, in those early days, my mum was encouraged to put these zips on my shirts or Velcro. And do you know, I remember, do you know, I used to, with my toes, no, I pull it down, and with my teeth, I could pull it back up again. But you know, one day I got a new shirt. And before my mum got a chance to put the zip or the Velcro on that shirt, do you know, I got that shirt. And you know, with my toes, I put all the buttons into that shirt. Do you know, it took me ages, but I did it. And you know, I got that shirt. And you know, what I did next was I, I got it in between my toes. And you know, I threw it up in the air. And as it was coming down, I was hoping that it would open up like a parachute. And you know, I'd be running to the left and to the right trying to get my head underneath. But you know, it didn't matter whether I threw it up once or a hundred times. It never opened up. But you know, one day I realized that if I put it over the bed, I know this is a chair, pretend it's a bed. I put the, the, uh, the shirt over the bed. The buttons, I already got them all in. And you know, I opened it up at the bottom with my toes and I put my head down like this underneath. And when I got so far, I went shaker, shaker, shaker. And I got the shirt on. But you know what happened half of the times? The buttons were around the back instead of the front. So what do you do? Well, I wasn't going to take the shirt off again. So one day I realized if I did a big swish really fast, 360 degree turn, do you know the buttons would come around to the front. But you know, man, in 60 years, there's one thing I definitely haven't been able to do with no arms. And that's tuck my shirt into my trousers with my toes. But you know, man, today I have no worries because I've got a wee shirt tucker in her. And that's my wife here in the front row. But you know, when I was two and three months old, I'm going to ask Jonathan to bring a wee picture up for us tonight. You're going to see a picture of me. The next one, please. There we are. Do we all see that young fella there? That's me. Do you know, that's me when I was two and three months old. And do you know, I was told that I was going to get my arms. 
and I was going to Scotland, to Edinburgh. And do you know when you're only two and a bit years of age? Do you know, I thought that Edinburgh was the next couple of villages from where we lived. But you know, mom and dad took me over to Scotland, to Edinburgh, to the Princess Margaret Rose Hospital. And you know, we're only there a couple of hours when mom and dad said goodbye. And you know, I wouldn't see them again for the next 10 weeks. You know, I didn't know what the word abandonment meant. But man, that's how I felt in my heart. Why had mom and dad left me here? And you know, I was only at the hospital about a week settling in when they took me down into the main clinic and they started to put this white stuff onto my chest and my back. I don't know if any of you here tonight have ever broken an arm or a leg and had a plaster cast put on. Well, they put that plaster cast onto my torso, front and back. And you know, when it had hardened, the doctor and the nurse came into the room with this electric cutter. And you know, you know what it's like when you go to the dentist with a drill? Well, this here drill was going, and you know, I was going, boys, a boys, a boys. So I thought I was going to die. And you know, it didn't matter what the doctor or the nurse said. Do you know whose voice I wanted to hear? The words of my mum. I wanted mum to say, Brian, it's okay. No harm's going to come to you. But she didn't. She wasn't there. And then the engineers took away the plaster casts. And over the next three weeks, they made my first pair of arms. Thank you, Jonathan. The next one. To see this picture here, men, I'm about 11, 10, 11 years of age in that picture. Do you know, that's what the arms were like when they put them on me when I was two and a half years of age. Do you know, they're not like your arms. These were heavy arms, metal contraptions with wires coming out of them. And they were powered by these gas cylinders. Maybe we'll go to the next one for a minute. There at the back, there's little cylinders. And as I moved my shoulder muscles, the arms would go up and down, in and out. And the strap would go back one place again. Thank you. To see the strap across the front, when I breathed in and out, the hooks on the arms would open and close. So it meant that if I was having something in the hook, like uh, some food with a spoon or something. And sometimes when I was just about to bring it up to my mouth, I would breathe out at the wrong time. And so it meant that the spoon or the fork and all the food would fall off. And, you know, it took a lot, a lot, a lot of practice trying to learn. But, you know, I had to learn to walk again because of the weight of those arms. As I've already said, I was there for 10 weeks on the first occasion. And then one day... Mom and dad came back. And you know, when my father came into the room, I ran over and I jumped into his arms. But would I look at him? Nope, nope, nope. Man, I was cross. Where had he been for the last 10 weeks? Do you know when you're only 10, uh, three, two and a half years of age? Do you know it seemed like eternity? being there for all that time. And my mom would come into the room and she was sure with me in later years. She said, Brian, 
the first time I saw you with the wee arms on and how miserable you looked, Brian, I had to leave the room. I didn't want you to see the tears coming down my cheeks. And you know, that day, Mom and Dad said the words I wanted to hear. They said, Brian, we have come to take you home. And you know, I'm a wee bit deaf in my right ear. And I said, Martin, we've come to take you home. Back to Ballyclare. And you know, as a wee boy, I went, yes, yippee. Mum and Dad still love me. And do you know when we got back home to Ballyclare, do you know word of mouth got around the wee area where we lived? And the boys and girls came around to see me with my bionic arms on. And do you know, I don't know why, but some of the boys and girls would stick their wee fingers in the wee hooks of the arms. And do you know, I wouldn't let go. And their fingers were going blue. And then they were going home and telling their mums and dads about Brian and those terrible arms. Do you know the professors in Scotland said to my mum and dad before we left, try and get me to wear those metal arms for eight hours every day. Eight hours. Do you know, I have to be honest here tonight here in Brookside, if I had those arms on for 20 minutes a day, I thought it was 20 minutes too long. You see, I was doing everything 10 times quicker with these here, my precious toes. But you know, when I was six and a half years of age, my family went in 1967 for a holiday to the Isle of Man. And you know, by that time, I had a younger sister, Gwen. And you know, I was not to know that that holiday in 1967 in the Isle of Man and Douglas had a big impact impression upon mum and dad's. Because in the May of 1970, we sold up the wee small holding that we had in Ballyclare, and we all moved over to Douglas. And mum and dad uh, got a little, uh, a little, uh, what would it be? A little guest, I was going to say, yeah, a little guest house. And uh, which, what, what a difference from uh, having a small holding to having a guest house which would take up to about 55, 60 people in the peak time, in the summertime. And you know, it was no problem for my three siblings getting into a wee primary school in the Isle of Man in Douglas. But mum and dad took me along to three or four wee primary schools and all the head teachers in all the schools said to my mum and, and dad, there's no school in the Isle of Man well, except me, Brian. They said that I'd have to go to a special school, special needs school with other boys and girls, either in Liverpool in England or back here in Northern Ireland, where I'd already been going to a school called Fleming Fulton School. And you know, because they had already had me at Fleming Fulton School, they approached them and they said, yes, we'll have Brian. And you know, back in 1970, 
there were 220 children with special needs from all the six counties of Northern Ireland, plus one, me, from the Isle of Man. And there were 40 of us were boarders. And you know, man, I was only eight and a half years of age, way back in 1970. And no longer, man, as a boarder, could I cheat with my metal arms. Do you know, I would be at boarding school for nine months every year. I'd only be home for two weeks at Christmas, two weeks at Easter, and eight weeks in July and August. And you know, as a boarder at school, I couldn't understand. Why did mom and dad send me away for all those weeks at a time, for months at a time? And yes, I was homesick. And also, yes, I had to wear those arms for eight hours every day from Monday to Friday. And my shoulders would be coming out in all these blisters and wheels and cuts and bruises. And I would be protesting that these arms were no good. And then, sometimes people would ask me, Brian, were you ever angry when you were a boy? And I have to be honest here tonight, the answer is yes. You see, when we lived in Ballyclare, boys and girls there knew me since I was a baby. And the children just accepted me, Brian the boy, with no arms. And yes, we'd go out and play and run around way back in the early 1960s. But you know, when we moved to the Isle of Man, especially when I was around this age, as you see there, when I was about eight, nine, ten years of age, eleven. Do you know, boys and girls in the Isle of Man had never seen a boy with no arms before. And do you know, in the summer months, sometimes some of the boys and girls, they would be laughing at me. They would be saying not nice words and teasing me and knocking me over. Today we call that bullying. And you know, man, I did things I know I should never have done with those metal arms. Those arms have got a good right metal hook on them. And you know, once or twice in the summer months, I would say to my mum, Mum, I think I might put my arms on for a couple of hours. But you know, I had another motive. Do you know, I wanted to go out and seek after that boy or girl who had been bullying me and knocking me over and saying not nice things. And you know, when I found that child, do you know, man, I did something I know I should never have done. Do you know, when they got within my reach, do you know, I went, boom! And you know, I nearly knocked them out with the right hook of those metal arms. And you know, I went home and I said, Mom, Dad, I've done something terrible. And I said, Bram, what have you done? I said, I think I've maybe knocked out one of the kids because I was cross with them. And you know, they said, Brian, you don't do that. You must say sorry. And you know, man, I have to be honest here tonight. I didn't want to say sorry. But you know, I had to go and say sorry to the child and say sorry to their parents for what I've done. 
And do you know there was something else I used to do, men? Do you know I used to also give out Glasgow kisses? I'm sure some of you tonight know what I'm talking about, about Glasgow kiss. No, they're not something you want to give out. But, you know, sometimes some of the children said to me, Brian, why, why, why have you got no arms? And, you know, there's only so many ways you can say to a child, do you know, my my mom took two tablets when I was in her tummy and it stopped my arms from growing. Do you know the children wanted more answers and I had nothing more to, to say. And, you know, one day I went up to one of the kids and I thought, if I went up to him and go like this here, boom, with a headbutt. Do you know, they'll not ask me again in a hurry why I've got no arms. Do you know, man, that was my way of protecting myself, defending myself, because it was a time I found it hard to verbalize, express my feelings. And I thought if I knocked them out, that was a way to sort it out. Do you know, it wasn't right. But you know, to see this picture I have up here, I am 10 going on 11 years of age. And you know, that is when I was at my lowest point. I, used to, I remember back then saying, God, if you exist, I don't like you, God. Because of all the struggles I've had with these metal arms, yes, I can use my toes, but it takes me longer than everyone else. And why do the children be so cruel and many not even be my friends? And you know, man, at my lowest point, I remember saying, I wish, I wish I'd never been born. I didn't think there was any future. But I know that James and all the the leaders here at the church would not want me to finish tonight on a low, a low point in my story. Because in my 13th year, 1974, I call that the glorious year in my life. There'll never be a, a year like 1974 for the rest of my life. Because in that year, two things happened that I'll never forget. The first one is this. One day, one of the teachers came into the classroom there at Fleming Fulton School in Belfast. And she said, Brian, the professors over in Scotland, the physiotherapists and the occupational therapists at school, they've all come to the same decision. No longer do you have to wear your metal arms. So I said, Pardon! said, no longer do you have to wear your arms. You see, I'm deaf in my right ear. And you know, that day, I said, yes, yippee. No more metal arms. You know, from, for 11 and a half years, from two and a half to 13, I'd been protesting that those arms were no good. They just pulled me down. And you know, that day, the teacher took those arms off Marie's shoulders. She put them in the cupboard, and she locked them with the key. And I said, teacher, can I have the key for the cupboards? You see, man, I thought three months later, out again would come the old metal arms. Do you know I'm now 60 years of age, 
That's 47 years ago since I last saw those metal arms. You know, now I could show people what I could do with my precious toes. But you know, man, something even better happened in my 13th year. Could anything better happen than getting rid of the old arms? Yes. Do you know, as a boarder at school, it was compulsory to go to church on Sunday. And you know, I used to often pretend that I was sick come Sunday mornings. Do you know, man, I was never sick on Saturday night because much of the day was on the football. And you know, the staff at school used to say, Brian's always in good form on Saturday nights, but not come Sunday morning. You see, if you were sick on Sunday morning, you had to stay in your bed all day. And I wasn't one for staying in my bed, so I had to go to church. And I have to be honest here tonight, I used to think church was the most boring and longest hour of the week. Do you know, I would have preferred to be in anywhere at that time than being in God's house. But you know, I had a friend at school called Alan. And you know, Alan was born with cerebral palsy, which meant that Alan's arms would wave about uncontrollably and his legs a wee bit unsteady. And you know, I used to think Alan was crackers or wired to the moon because Alan would not only go to church on Sunday morning, but he would go on Sunday night. And I said, Alan, you're daft. I'd be in the morning, and that was enough for me. Well, you know, one night Alan came back from church. And you know, when he saw me, he said, Brian, guess what happened to me tonight at church? And I went, oh dear, what happened? He said, Brian, I've become a Christian. Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins. The Bible says that each one of us were sinners from conception. And you know, I said, Alan, that's good for you having Jesus as your friend and your savior. And at that time, I said, Alan, I'm I don't want to hear about your gods. Do you know, you can say you're a Christian, but what difference has it made in your life? Do you know, man, I was watching Alan in the days and weeks after Alan became a Christian. And you know, one of the changes I saw in Alan was that he began to pray for all the 40 children by name. And you know when Alan prayed, he didn't pray quietly. He prayed out loud. And you know, he used to, uh, sometimes I'd go past his room and I'd hear him mention my name. And you know, man, I used to boil up inside and say, Alan, stop you praying for me. I don't need your God. But you know what Alan kept doing, man? He kept praying for me. And I want to encourage you all here tonight. Keep praying. Keep persisting and praying for your loved ones. Because I am so thankful that Alan didn't give up on me. That he persevered. Because about eight months after Alan became a Christian, do you know one night about 10 o'clock at night, I was sitting beside my bed. And I remember saying to my friend Alan, Alan, I'll never be good enough. 
they get into God's heaven. And do you know what Alan said to me? He said, Brian, you've got it in one. You'll never be good enough. You see, there in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter 3 and verse 23, it says that we have all have sinned and we've all fallen short of God's righteousness or his standards. And not one of us here tonight by good works and deeds alone can get you into heaven. Do you know, Alan said, Brian, the only way you can get right with God is through Jesus. And do you know, he quoted that wee verse there in John's gospel, chapter 14 and verse 6, where Jesus says, I am. I am means the all-sufficient one. That's Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can have a relationship with God in heaven except through me, Jesus. And Alan said, Brian, you have to believe that what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago when he shed his precious blood, Brian, he did that for your sins. And man, not only did Jesus die, but on that third day, he rose again from the dead. Amen. And you know, I said, Alan, he said, Brian, you have to take a step of faith. I said, Alan, what do I have to do? And he said, Brian, you need a changing. And you know, the Bible calls that changing repentance. Repentance, man, means a turning around 180 degrees. It's a changing in our minds. The devil wants to hold on to our minds. A changing in our hearts, our attitudes, our behavior. And you know, man, I saw such a changing in Alan. He had such a joy and a peace. And he knew forgiveness and acceptance. And I didn't experience any of that. And you know, I said, Alan, I'd love to have all of those things. And you know, Alan said, Brian, tonight, you can know Jesus. And by taking that step of faith, it's all by grace. None of us can get there by good works. It's all what Jesus has done. And you know, when I was only 13 years of age, I thought I had to wait the Sunday morning till I went to church to talk to God. Because I thought God was only in church buildings. Alan said, Brian, is here tonight at school. And you know, at 10 o'clock at night, I sat down beside my bed. And you know, prayer is just talking to Jesus. And I said, Lord, would you forgive me for those kids I've knocked out with the old metal arms, the Glasgow kisses, the times God have cursed you and, and blasphemed and been angry and blamed everything on you. God, would you forgive me? And you know, that night I cried out to God and asked him to forgive me for all the wrong things I'd done. The Bible calls that sin. And you know, that night I'd let it all at the cross. And you know, that night I asked Jesus to come into my heart, to forgive me, to give me a new start. And you know, that night, man, I just sensed a peace. And I knew, because Alan said, when you cry out to God, he hears our cry. 
and he forgives. And I knew now that I was accepted, I was forgiven. I have to be honest with you, men. In the days and weeks afterwards, I still knocked one or two kids out. It was only as I began to read my Bible that I began to realize I wasn't to knock people out anymore, but to encourage them and build them up. And I remember going along to a wee Tuesday night fellowship group where we used to learn more about Jesus, open up the scriptures, the Bible. And also we used to sing a little chorus back in the mid-1970s, a little chorus called, called, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because who lives? Jesus lives in our hearts. Do you know, man, becoming a Christian, it wasn't all easy. I had my struggles like, oh, well, like we all do. But you know, now I, had, I knew that Jesus was with me. Do you know, when I was 13, my reading ability was that of an eight-year-old. And yet by the time I was 17, I left school with seven O-levels. Do you know, none of my teachers at school thought I would pass any exams. I'm not saying become a Christian, then you pass all your exams in life. But what I'm saying is that I, after becoming a Christian, I believe that Jesus helped me to get down and apply myself to my studies. And when I came to exams, he calmed me down and brought to my memory those things I needed to put down for my exams. And I headed off to college and the next wee picture, please, Jonathan, tonight. There we are. When I was 17 years of age, I got my first car. My first car was actually a wee mini car when I was 17 years of age. That's a way back, but 43 years ago. And you know, you say, Brian, how do you drive a car when you've got no arms? Well, you know, in those days, and same today, it hasn't really changed. There on the floor, I don't touch the steering wheel. Do you know today they've got, you've got these, uh, what do you call them there? The hands free or whatever you call them. What do they call them? Driverless. Driverless, that's the word. Do you know these, one, these driverless ones where you don't actually touch the steering wheel? Do you know I've been doing it for 43 years? Because I have a plate on the floor. It's a bit like your dinner plates. And you know, as I put my foot into this plate, there's a little kind of, uh, what do you, a little strap I put my toe into. And as I turn it around to the right, the steering wheel goes around to the right and then to the left. And that's how it works. And, uh, and it's amazing. And also over here in the right-hand side, there's a little box of, uh, of buttons on the floor, a bit like your remote control for your television, infrared receiver box. And there's 12 buttons on that. And it does your lights and the wipers and the indicators and the washers. And, and may, does it do the washing and the ironing? I wish. May wishes. But isn't it great? And that does all the things to drive the car. And you know, man, I had 12 one-hour lessons. And I passed first time. First time! You see, I was determined. You know, there was one word my mom and dad and even the teachers at school would never allow me to use. Brian never said the word can't or cannot, but try, try, try. Look to your potential and not your limitations. And I passed first time. Do you see the words up there, man? 
It says, get ready to pray. And if there's any men amongst us tonight and you're struggling to pray, men, I can get you praying. What you do is you come for a wee spin in my motor car. I'll get you praying. You'll be saying, Lord, that man's crazy. How he drives that car with his toes, even after 43 years. May, I have to blow my nose, but may, how much has your prayer life improved, May? Over 200,000. It was 20,000 fold two nights ago, dear. It's gone up since then. That's how you blow your nose with your toes. <laughs> 200,000 times. I haven't heard that one before, dear. That's a big number. But uh, so that's how you get your, your prayer life improved, man. As May says, what's it like my driving, May? Well, it has to be experienced. It has to be experienced. And are you joking, dear? No. Not at all. But isn't that great, man? For 43 years, I've been able to drive. And I just got a new wee car just in the last month. It took nine months to get it because of all these worldwide shortage of what, these chips. Some kind of, you know. Semiconductors, that's a fancy word, yeah. So there'll be a worldwide... And also the car had to go to Coventry. People are sent to Coventry, but my car had to go there to get the foot controls all put in. And uh, I got there last uh, November. And so it took about eight and a half, nine months for my car. When I, the old car after 14 years went to scrap, scrap yard heaven because I knew it wouldn't go through the MOT. Uh, but I didn't know that for nine months I had no car. So May, my wife has been my, my chauffeur, chauffeur, over the last uh, nine months. I think you're glad there, aren't you? Yes, and I've got my own, my own wheels back again, which is great. But yeah, where do I usually go on to now? May? I'll share about uh, Brazil. Because, do you know, men, way back in 1993, I remember one of the ladies at that time I was working as a pastor worker in a wee Baptist church in Douglas in the Isle of Man, and uh, two senior colleagues. And you know, while I was there, one of the ladies said to me one day in 1993, he said, Brian, go home early tonight because there's a TV program about Brazil I think you should watch. And you know, man, I pressed and got the TV on and you know what I was watching? I couldn't believe my eyes. Because the reporter was saying to us way back 29 years ago that there in Brazil, they were still giving out the drug, the litamites. Not for morning sickness, men, but for leprosy. And you know, there in Brazil, there are 300,000 people who suffer with leprosy. And for about 10%, between 10 and 15%, they've been giving them the drug, the litamites, as part of their treatments. And you know, most of them who suffer with leprosy live in the Babelas, the shanty towns. And as I was watching that program, I saw boys and girls, just four, five, six years of age, with no arms and no legs, 
And there was one particular little girl, she was only about three, four years of age, standing in a puddle of water with no arms. And you know, I remember crying out and said, God, how can this be, Lord? Have we not learned from the 1960s when nearly 10,000 babies were born? And you know, men, tears came down my cheeks. I thought us men aren't supposed to cry. Do you know there in the, in, the, in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus, he cried, he wept for Jerusalem. And do you know there's a place for righteous anger? Jesus, the money changers, he, he, uh, he whipped and he forced them to get out of God's house for abusing God's house. And also in the, in the book, in the Psalms, many of the psalmists cried out to God for the injustices of those who didn't have a voice. And do you know, even tonight we're just thinking about Ukraine. Do you know, as men, we should be, have tears in our hearts building up for what we're seeing on our screens, coming into our living rooms. And do you know, I remember crying out and God said, God, how could this be? Have we not learned? And you know, men, yes, I was angry. We call that righteous anger. But two or three, four days later, I remember God speaking into my spirit and saying, Brian, I want you to help the children in Brazil. And I said, God, how can I help them? Because then I lived in the Isle of Man and Brazil was a long way away. God said, Brian, I want you to write a book. And God said, Brian, I will help you. And I asked my two senior colleagues if I could have three months unpaid leave. And you know, I went home and I had my computer and my keyboard and with my two big toes, I started typing. And you know, man, it took me the best part of nine months, eight and a half to nine months of typing. I typed 105,000 words, and I thought, I better stop now. And, you know, I sent off the manuscripts of the different Christian publishing houses in London, and they all came back to me saying, Brian, I don't know who Brian Galt is, never mind the Isle of Man. Do you know, man, I was knocked out, but not knocked out. I was confused, complexed. We read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But you know, in that passage twice it says, do not lose heart. Do not give up. And you know, man, I had to wait. From 1993 to February 2000, when eventually Hodder and Stoughton, big publishing house said, Brian, we hear your heart, your passion. And you know, look no hands, the book was published in the year 2000, in February. And you know, tonight we give God all the glory that my story, look no hands, is now in its 23rd reprints. Isn't that wonderful? And you know, all the royalties and the profits from my book are going to help disabled children in Brazil, but also other disabled children around the world. Isn't that wonderful? You know, who would have imagined 
way back then, how God would, I never imagined how God would open up the doors and the invitations start coming in and, and being invited on to TV programs. The Kelly Show was away back then. May and I was on one Friday night and all other Christian, uh, different Christian channels over in, in uh, Newcastle and God's Channel and all different places interviewed for Christian magazines and, and uh, all different ones, wasn't it? Newspapers, you name it. But also that year, the year, oh yes, the book. We've got quite a few books still. Even here we are 20 odd years later. We've still got plenty of books out on the table tonight. And you know, we're not too far away from Balamina here. And you know, Balamina, they like a bargain. And you know, man, I want to give you a bargain tonight. Because the books are normally $9.99 each. And you know, man, if you buy one from me tonight, it's still $9.99 each. But man, here's the good news. For an extra penny, one penny, you can get an extra book. Two for a tenner. Because, you know, my desire tonight is not only do you get yourself a book or treat your, your mum or your good lady in your life, but also think of somebody, maybe one of your colleagues at work who need a wee encouragement. And, you know, already tonight, I've already done Blue Peter style. I've already written in all the books, Blessings, Brian. And... Uh, and so, usually I would put in your names, but because of COVID times, I'll not be doing that tonight. But do come up, and May, what do we accept, May? Uh, no cash. Cash! No credit cards. No, credit no cards. plastic. No contactless. No contactless stuff. All, all cash. But you know, man, if you're here tonight and you come with no money, do they have to worry, May? We'll take an IOU. We'll just have a piece of paper. We'll put down your name, and we're going to leave it with James, and maybe James, don't know how wealthy James is, but uh, James will maybe uh, settle up with us at a later time. He'll uh, settle up a wee check or something, and we'll be able to check. But don't want anybody to be disappointed getting a wee book or two. So, uh, so that's a wee plug for that. Another thing I've got here tonight is I've got a wee DVD. I know they're probably going out of fashion, but there's still some people are watching them. And uh, this came out about 10 years ago or so, and we've given away nearly 84,000 of these. And you know, we've got 125 here tonight on the tables. And you know, I want you men to take them with you. You can still put them in. I have a, a hard drive in mine, and I can get it into mine. And uh, you may... No, I want to encourage you men to take these with you. I'm not taking any of these home, the 125 home. Whatever you men don't take tonight, I'm going to be leaving with the minister, uh, with William uh, Moody. And I know that uh, William will find good homes for them. But I hope that we don't give him too many. Because I want you men, because you've heard my story tonight, I would love you to take them and, uh, and circulate them around. And another wee thing I brought with me tonight is a little, a little gospel track. And uh, it's, this here came out about three, four years ago. We got 125,000 of these done. We've got about 35,000 left out of 125,000. And uh, how many have we brought tonight, May? About 500. We've got 500 here tonight. And uh, 
whatever you don't use, men, I'm going to leave with the, with the pastor. And maybe you've got a street ministry or maybe, you know, out in your area, maybe other activities in the life of the church. You can circulate them around and, and get hearts encouraged as I just read that as well. So that's a wee plug. And may, how much are they, the DVD? They're free. The DVDs and the tracks are free, men. So I want you to grab a, a handful of them. If you've got a heart for the lost, for your neighbors, for others. And the next one, please, Jonathan, tonight. There we are. Look at that, man. Do you know, I used to wonder, man, would I ever get married? Would a girl ever see beyond the man with no arms and see Brian the man? And you know, man, my heart was broken many times in my teens and 20s and even early 30s. And you know, I didn't want to get rejected again or get hurt again. And then in 1997, May came over to the Isle of Man to work in the bank. And she started to come along to the church that I was in. And as I've already mentioned, my responsibility in the church at that time as a full-time uh, pastoral worker was going around visiting people in their homes and uh, going to prison and also doing hospital visits. And May had been coming along to the church for a couple of weeks. And my colleagues said, Bran, will you, want, will you go and see how May is settling into life on the island, in the Isle of Man? And so I went along to see May. And you know, May got out the coffee and the Kit Kats. And you know, man, my heart was going bumpity bumpity bump. I hope all the hearts are going bumpity bump tonight. I said, Lord, there's a lovely girl. But you know, man, I was shy. Can you believe that? Yes, I spoke and asked May questions about how she was settling into life. But I didn't share with May for over 18 months how I felt about May. And then I heard that May was being transferred back to Northern Ireland with the bank. And so I and the good Lord had a few wee chats about our May. And you know, one day the Lord said, Bran, less talking and a bit more walking. Get yourself over to Belfast. And you know, there's a wee bit of water called the Irish Sea and I had to get in the, on the boat. I had the car and a lovely bouquet of flowers in the back seat. And you know, I was doing a, speaking at a meeting down in Belfast. And after the meeting, I took, a, I took a detour after the meeting and came up to Kells here, not too far away from here, here just beyond uh, Ballymena, three miles from Ballymena. And you know, I got to May's wee house. Went up there, what, the, what was the name of the road? Verniski Road, got into the village and you know, got to May's wee house. And you know, there was May with the coffee and the... Uh, The Kit Kats. Do you know you can have Kit Kats once with the girl, but twice with the same girl? I said, Lord, that's a sign. I'm worried. I'm worried joking. But you know, man, not that occasion. But after a wee bit of correspondence of letters, those are the days when you wrote letters back in the 1990s. And we didn't have texts in those days or emails. It was all letters or phone calls. And you know, eventually I came over to May in, in late 1999. 
in October. And I remember saying to May, May, what's in your heart? And what did you say to me, May? I said, what's in your heart? What's in my heart? I said, May, I'm falling in love with you. And what did you say to me, May? I said, me too. Pardon? Me too. Me too. You know, man, I've been waiting for 38 years. I thought that love had passed me by. And you know, I see a couple, some younger men, especially up in the balcony here tonight, and some of you might be saying, Brian, 38? That's ages. That's another, maybe another 15, 20 years time. But you know, God, God's plans are always perfect. And you know, one of the things, men, I don't have very much of is patience, do you, mate? No. no. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, God said, trust me, Brian. Trust me. Because my plans for you are the best. But you have to wait. And you know, God knew, men, that when the book came out, May and I began to get all these invitations in 2000 and there onwards. And you know, over the last 22 years, well, especially 20 of the 22 years, May and I have traveled to well, well over 30 countries around the world, sharing my story. There in Africa and Ghana, sharing with in Akbar Square to over 60,000 people in one gathering. And all over places being as far as Australia and Japan and Korea, Scandinavia, all over Europe, North America. Do you know there's a lovely wee verse there in Ephesians 3 verse 20 that says that he is able, he, God, is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his plans, his purposes within us. And uh, time moving on, we'll quickly, next one please. Just quickly going through these. Over the last uh, 20 odd years, we've been able to help 146 families there in Brazil. And we're just going to show a few of the pictures tonight. Thank you. This first little girl is Soliana. Very typical disability, the little mite. Little, no hands. She's got her legs, but she's got no knees. So she'll never be able to walk. So the next one, please. We were, in those early days, we were working in partnership with the Salvation Army there in Brazil. And there we got her this little electric wheelchair with a little joystick. And with her toes, she was able to you know, drive around her, her little uh, wheelchair. And the next one, please. There's Miriam. I don't know if you can see there, but Miriam was born with no hands. And May, how well does she write? And she's just got wee short legs. And the next one, please. There you see with her, with her scooter. Lots of the children, we get them computers and scooters and uh, wheelchairs as well as some of the children and young people get, help them to get their education. Some go to further education. And the next one, please. There's Jonathan, just like me with no arms. We give him a pen and a pad, and he started to write his name on, on, the, uh, on the pad with his toes. And the next one, please. We're able to give him money to get this computer. This is a way back, probably about 2007, 2008. 
And you know, men, I said to you, I type with my two big toes. But Jonathan, he can type with five toes. Isn't it amazing what you can do when you don't have any arms? You learn to compensate. And the next one, please. There's Franciella, a very typical thalidomide disability there uh, near San Paolo, 12 hours away, and uh, little short arms at her shoulders and little feet at her hips. Well, Franciella and her mum came 12 hours in a coach, in a bus, to San Paolo to pick up the specially adapted electric wheelchair. Isn't that fantastic? Up to then, she had to crawl around on the floor, bumping around, but now she had her own mobility, her own wheels. And the next one, please. There's Moses, only 18 months old there. And we worked in partnership with the Brazilian Thalidomite Society. And Claudia Maximino is the president of the charity. And she said to me and I, could we buy this family a little house? Well, I don't know how much houses are here in a hall. But you know, they're in uh, Recife on the coast. We're able to get this family a wee house for 900 pounds. Look at that, man. Do you know, it might look a wee bit like your garage. But you know, for this family, this was a mansion. Because up to then, they were living in a shack in a tin hut with uh, wires coming out from everywhere. And, and they do have a rainy season there in, Rece in Recife. But you know, that family were just overwhelmed that May and I would come all the way. And the next wee picture, maybe we yeah, well, maybe back one for a second. Is there another one? Go back one. Yeah, there we are with the children and the family. And you know, they just couldn't believe we came all the way at that time because at that time we were living in the Isle of Man and, uh, and that we had come to see them. And the next one, please. I don't know if any has ever heard of this lady called Johnny Erickson Tada. Well, Johnny actually very kindly way back uh, when the book came out in 2000, she did the forward for my book. Johnny was, was uh, paralyzed when she was 17 in a diving accident. But God has used her mightily, and she's written or co-written at least 30, maybe 35 books over the years. And, uh, and the next one, please. She has a, a ministry called Johnny and Friends in the States, the USA, but here in the UK, she has a ministry called Through the Roof. And one of her projects that she has here is called Wheels for the World. And this project we are very excited about and we're involved in. And the next one, please. Over the last 11, 12 years, we've raised enough funds to get over 1,200 wheelchairs. Isn't that amazing? Which have gone to all these countries as well as to see the one at the bottom where things are devastating and happening at the moment, the tragedy. And, uh, but all those countries, most of them are in Africa, but the last two are in Eastern Europe. And we've sent out wheelchairs. Those wheelchairs are going to disabled folks to give them their wheels, their mobility. And we thank the Lord for everyone who's bought my book and and giving us generously gifts to be able to bless these folks. And the next one, please. These are some of the recipients who have received these 
these different wheelchairs. Next one, please. There's the Benjamin, not always wheelchair, sometimes crutches. Next one. These are brothers. Thankfully, they both got their own wheelchairs now, but at that time, the brothers had to share a wheelchair. And the next one. This is a family called the Kellys, not too far from here. They're missionaries, and they've got a great heart for disability. And the next one, please. These are some of the wheelchairs that we've sent it's been sent across and they're distributed around. That's Melbourne and one of the locals. And the next one, this is one of the recipients, uh, Constantine receiving his wheelchair. And the next one, this is some of the ladies who make jewellery. And I'm just going to ask May to come up just for three or four minutes, maybe five, to quickly mention about the jewellery. I feel very honoured to be in here with all you men tonight, so thank you for allowing me to come in. Um, Sharon has um, shown the ladies, uh, mainly pastors' wives, over in Mozambique, how to make crafts. Because as you can imagine, there's not much money in Mozambique, and a lot of the pastors don't uh, receive a salary from the church. So it's difficult for their, them to um, earn a living because uh, the people are so poor. So Sharon has taught the ladies how to make crafts and uh, these items of jewellery come over. Um, they bring them over with them or they send them over and we can sell them on behalf of uh, these ladies. They also come along and they have a Sharon and some of the other ladies, the missionaries over there, uh, do a Bible study with these ladies. So it's a time of fellowship and they have something to eat and they can sit out in the grass and make the crafts. So some of the items are out on the table. Uh, one of our best-selling items, and you can think of your the ladies in your lives, uh, your wives, your mums, your daughters, your granddaughters. This is one of our best-selling items. This is a Christmas star we can sell these the year round. We can sell these in the middle of July. Um, and even we have them at home hanging up in our windows. You can hang them on the, the latch of the window. They're three pounds. And I quickly want to tell you about the lady that made these. Is a lady called Asina. She's married to a pastor. She's only about 30 years of age whenever she took a stroke. Now we complain about the health service here. Uh, but over there, there's absolutely no health service. For, well, for this lady anyway, she was left on a mat in her little mud hut. And one of the missionaries went out to see her and she thought she could see something running along the um, ground. And whenever she looked around here, was a rat running along the ground and poor Asina was lying on a mat on the floor. So you can imagine what that's like. Um, Antrim Hospital or Coleraine just hasn't got to that yet, thankfully. But we take it all for granted. But what would happen in that culture and would be quite acceptable even in the Christian church was that her husband, the pastor, could have um, disowned her, left her out uh, begging on the sides of the street and he would have nothing more to do with her. And that would be, nobody would bat an eyelid at that, not even in the, in the Christian church. 
but he said, he stood up one Sunday morning in church and said that he had married a Sina in the presence of his friends and in the presence of God for life, for in sickness and in health, and he was going to stand by her. So Melvin and Sharon said that was a great witness to uh, the local people. So that's a Christmas star there, three pounds. We have little bracelets for little girls and for bigger girls. They're two pounds each. Um, other double ones, these are quite new. These are four pounds. I only have one pot, pot stand. This is made from metal bottle tops covered in materials. And again, um, each, some of the ladies specialize in um, individual items. So that's a pot stand, eight pounds for that. Um, I have a necklace here like this one I'm wearing and they are 10 pounds each. So have a look at them and um, as you're going out. I would ask you to remember the Kelly family. Some of you will know them. Um, Sharon was Sharon Hutchison from Colray and I think she actually worked in or she did work in Ballymena Academy as a teacher, and she worked in the wash basin in the Hockle for a while. But they have been out in Mozambique. They have four young children, and their um, eldest boy, Joshua, is a twin, and he has just been diagnosed with leukemia. Some of you may already know this. This has just happened within the last four to five weeks. They're home in furlough at the moment. They came home last July. And please remember them, he needs a bone marrow transplant. His twin sister, Abigail, the, the family were all tested and they thought that Abigail would be a match, but sadly she wasn't. But his younger brother, Noah, is a match. Um, he, Noah has just, um, he, he's just uh, tested positive for COVID at the moment. But uh, Joshua has been up in the Belfast Hospital for Sick Children for the last four weeks. Um, if, they, if, if everything goes according to plan, uh, he will have to go to Bristol with his brother Noah to have a bone um, marrow transplant. So please do remember them in these very difficult and uncertain days for the family. May, may they um, know God's guidance, God's strength, and God's comfort, that through all that God will um, give them all that they need to keep them going in these days. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, dear. And uh, so men, do, do have a look. There's no cost in looking. And if you come tonight and you've got the money and you want to get a wee treat for your loved one, your life, don't worry. Just give me your details and a wee piece of paper, and then we'll have a wee chat with James later on. So I hope uh, James got deep pockets tonight. So there we are. So that's uh, so that's that. And just in closing, we'll just whiz along, please. I'll just pass on. Yeah, keep going. Next one, please. Uh, another wee project that we've got involved in is that Sh Melbourne and Sharon said to Brian, May, they're in Mozambique. Many of the boys and girls with disabilities would never get an education. They'd never go to school, so they'd never be able to read or write if you would give them any Christian books or literature. So they asked us, Brian, could you be able to raise some money to get some of these here? Solar-powered solar audio Bibles. 
And you know, initially we thought we might be able to get maybe 20 or 30 of them about five, six years ago. And if you look up there now, men, nearly 800, 787. For every time someone gives us 20 pounds specifically for that project, we're able to get one of these. And you know, when they receive these here, not only the recipient is blessed, but all the family come around in their wee hut, and there could be a dozen of them, and they sit down and they listen to the gospel stories all about Jesus. Because our longing is not only to bring practical helps to the boys and girls, but spiritually, we want them to be fed on the wonderful truth of Jesus. So they're 20 pounds each, those are, that we project. And the next one, please. These are some of the other resources. And the next one. Oh, right, okay. Away back uh, in, uh, in a, it was right about June 2020, I got an email from the home office. And you know, man, I wasn't expecting anything from the home office. And I put it into my junk, junk box or mail or bin or whatever you want to call it. A maid came to me an hour later and said, Brian, I'm expecting an important email. I said, oh. And, uh, and so I had to retrieve this, uh, what I thought was spam, this suspicious email. And, uh, I hadn't opened it up, you see, and so I, 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 I retrieved it. I hadn't put it into the permanent bin, and I retrieved it. And it actually said that the queen... Uh, because of some friends locally and even over in the UK had put my name forward to receive this, uh, this honour from the Queen and MBE. And uh, because of COVID, we weren't able to get over for 18 months until November 2021, just a couple of months ago. And we actually went over to Windsor Castle and the queen wasn't well enough to receive us, but uh, her daughter, Princess Anne, was able to uh, present the honor to us. And the first picture was me and my own, but why I wanted to show this one as well is because we are a team. We are, you've heard of the M&S team, Marks and Spencers, but well, we are the B&M the B team, Brian and May. Do you know we come together do you know, and do you know, I wouldn't have been able to go and travel and do all the things that we've done over all these years if we hadn't been there for each other. And also, I've also got a wee shirt tucker in her. Do you know, I used to worry about getting my shirt tucked in. And do you know, today, man, I don't have to worry anymore about getting my shirt tucked in and getting my tie tidied up and everything else. Because God sent me, and we are a team, and we are just overwhelmed, aren't we, dear? And we're so touched and very humbled uh, to receive this honor, recognition of all the work that we've done. But you know, we've got God with us and he's helped us. But just in closing, I want to finish with a verse. And the next one, please. Sam, it was read tonight by uh, James, way back oh, quite a wee while now, but the way back, he read the whole, the first 14 verses but I wanted to highlight in closing that last verse where it says, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, men, 
For the first 13 years of my life, I thought I could run away from God, from his presence. But you know that passage says that not one of us can run away from God's presence. Do you know we can run up to the highest mountain? Around here we've got Slemish, it's not really a mountain, it's like, well, it's a small mountain. But you know, God is there on the top of that mountain. We can go into the deepest waters, and God says, I'm there. And you know, we can turn the lights off in the sanctuary tonight, and we'll be in the dark. But God says, I can see into the dark, and I can see into your hearts. And you know, man, I am so thankful that God caught up with me. And you know, God used my friend Alan Wilson way back 47 years ago to share with me the best news I ever needed to hear. Do you know, I can say to each one of you men tonight here that I am complete. You say, Brian, how can you be complete? You've got no arms. Man, I am complete because I have Jesus living in my heart. He loves me. He accepted me. And you know, I have a confidence, not in myself, but in the risen Savior who loves me and is using me despite my disability. And you know, my challenge in closing to each one of you men here tonight is this. Are you complete in Jesus? Do you love him? Have you come to a personal relationship just as I had to do 47 years ago? Have you done that in your life? Have you said, God, I'm a mess. I need you. Come into my life today. Come into my life to stay. Do you know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know he's here tonight in this sanctuary. And you know if you're here tonight, man, and you don't know this Jesus, do you know tonight could be a wonderful turning point in your life. Do you know one of the men has invited you along to this meeting tonight and you know that they love Jesus? Why not talk to them in the days to come and say, hey, I'd love to know more about that Jesus that Brian was talking about. Could you tell me more? Maybe give me some literature or something that would just help me on my way. Or you can come and talk to James later on, or one of the leaders in the church in the coming days. And you know, they would be delighted to talk to you more, to encourage you on your way, just as Alan did for me 47 years ago. Friends, I'm, I wasn't disappointed. You know, Jesus come into my life, give me a peace and a joy, and a certain hope of heaven for the future.